everyone. This is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is Wednesday, June 5th, 2019. We're three days past the big Apple WWDC, the Worldwide Developer Conference at Apple Halls every year, and there was a tremendous amount of uh, stuff that Apple announced pretty much all over the place in some interesting areas, too, that they didn't really talk about, which I think was equally interesting. And I'd like to spend uh, today's podcast uh, talking about that. And with that, I've got on the uh, line with me Anshel Sag, who is our um, one of our trusty analysts at More Insights and covers the AR and VR space and, uh, and several other areas. And I'll let Anshel introduce himself. Hey, Mark. Good morning. Thanks a lot for having me. Um, well, thank, thank you for calling I, in. Uh, I uh, definitely tuned into the uh, WWDC conference. Um, it was an interesting keynote, and um, I got a lot of things out of it, and I'm excited to talk about it. Sure. So, well, let's start off with you. Uh, let's get your, you know, I, I published a piece on Forbes this morning that, and I'll go into that in, in terms of the thing, the things that I thought were pretty interesting from a thematic standpoint. But let me start off with you, uh, Anshel. What do you think the two or three big things that you thought were newsworthy? Well, I thought that obviously the new Mac Pro was a big deal. Um, I think that if you look at how long that has been asked for and needed, mm-hmm. um, it's long overdue. Yep. But I think the reality is a lot of people who wanted something that was a desktop that was more powerful probably didn't get what they wanted out of the system because it's a professional system. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other two big announcements were obviously iPad OS and the AR kit update. Yeah, let, let's go back to the hardware piece for a second because you actually, you know, I, believe it or not, Anshel, and I agree with you, I was, I, I'm the kind of guy that you know, I look. I, I'm a big you know high performance hardware person, and unfortunately, the new Mac Mac Pros, they're too high end. I'm not I'm not the customer for that because those are really for content creators and really, almost like how I mean I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit because more uh, there are more professionals that use uh, use them than just Hollywood professionals, but I was kind of looking for some type of. Um, uh, Intel based solution, not Xeon processors, because again that, that's pretty you know. Um, pretty heady stuff that they announced, but something that was kind of mini tower based, into high performance Intel um, based, uh, but a little bit uh, from a price point standpoint, a bit more affordable. Because if you build the, the products out that they announced, from an average user standpoint, you're talking ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars, you know, depending on how you build it out. So I mm-hmm. think you're right that they 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 kind of left that gap. Because um, really, the only choice you have right now is you have you know they they do have um, iMacs that have a built-in screen, so you're kind of tethered to the display, but those products generally don't have a lot of expand- any expandability, frankly. You can't upgrade the memory after the fact or the storage after the fact or the graphics after the fact, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, and to a, uh, to a kind of a similar sense, extent, you have the same problem with um, the, uh, the uh, Mac Mini, which is a little bit more um, configurable, but at the end of the day, you know, you still can't, put, unless you do something exotic, like connect a um, external graphics box to it, you know, you really, uh, you really can't, it's not really positioned as, a really, as really an ultra-performance system. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, as somebody who, you know, covers the PC market very extensively, I actually understand why Apple did what they did. Because if you look at their product lineup, you look at the Mac Mini and you look at the uh, iMacs, 
those are essentially laptop components that are being repurposed for mm-hmm. desktop uses. So the cost and R&D there is pretty minimal. So I don't have to go out and build an entire new chassis with new components and new PCBs and new firmware and all these other you know complexities of building a system. And by building a really high-end desktop, they're addressing a portion of the market <clears throat> that they know is underserved and will bring them enough margin to justify the cost. Mm-hmm. Now, if they were to build a regular desktop that kind of sits in between where the Mac Pro is today and where um, the iMac Pro is today, you know, that, that enormous gap in performance, mm-hmm. um, I think you're probably wandering into territory that is like the slowest growing segment of the PC market. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's partially why they did it because they looked at the PC market and they said, okay, everything is growing in terms of two-in-ones in laptops, um, but desktop towers are dying. Right. So if we're going to build a desktop, we better build a really high-performance one. Right, and at least in that space, the space you're playing with, the, with the, uh, that, this new Mac Pro, um, they're making tremendous margins in that space. And, you know, obviously at low the price points go, you know, your margin opportunity tends to um, decline. But, I, I, you know, I have to agree with you. I think it becomes a business case situation. Is the development cost required to come out yet with another line of, of, of high-performance desktops uh, mini tower, uh, tower chassis, for example, um, and can you rationalize all that development expense against whatever the volume opportunity might be? And I, you might be right; the opportunity there probably is somewhat limited for Apple. You know, and you know? also, you know, I have family and friends that work in Hollywood, and a lot of them either transition to PCs and and Windows-based software, or they've been suffering on MacBooks for mm-hmm. the longest time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a lot of the software is starting to get virtualized in the servers, and you're seeing more and more people just VMing into their work environments. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't matter what they do, but there's still a lot of people who still use Macs. So right. there, I still think there's a pretty underserved market here, and I think they're going to sell plenty of these, just not to the people who think this was going to be for them. Exactly. Exactly. So, but I have to. I I bet on Shell that you were in love with the Apple uh, professional display they announced. I think that was a beast. I mean, the stand it's a, the stand is a thousand dollars. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about the display because I and I I, I I I can't wait to see it because I'm sure it's a stunner. You know, frankly, from a uh, from a uh, visual quality standpoint. But let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I think this display is like nothing else on earth. Obviously, it's not an OLED. Um, and you know, a lot of people hammered me on Twitter for mentioning that it doesn't have adaptive sync, but mm-hmm. I'm just mentioning it doesn't have that feature. I don't actually think it's supposed to be a gaming monitor. <laughs> <laughs> like no one in their right mind is going to say a 6k monitor with insane color depth is going right. to be used for gaming. Right. But fine. Okay. Come after me for that. Um, <laughs> the reality is, yeah, it's, this is a color perfect kind of display that's perfect for people who are trying to produce you know com- content for broadcast and yes. for mo- movies and for and if they want video games like the, the reality is this display is what you 
use to make sure your content looks exactly like you want it to. Right. And which is the key require which is the key requirement in that space. You have oh, yeah. you you, you can you can't have you can't compromise um, visual quality at all. You have it has to be almost a a, a, a virtual replication of reality, you know, for totally. visual and visuality actually, standpoint. if you compare this monitor to the other ones in the market that have the same capability, this thing's vastly cheaper. Mm-hmm. But 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 the people who 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 are looking at these prices once again, we're hoping for like a really nice 4K 5K consumer monitor, but what they got was a real professional monitor. Right. Which means it's going to be thousands of dollars. And like a, a professional grade, like color grading display is like 20, 30 grand. So mm-hmm. this is expre- extremely expensive. But when you look at it against the market, it's not that outrageous. And honestly, no, it, it's, a, it's a virtual bargain. I mean, ref- professional yeah. reference displays were in the four, they, they, uh, they showed it during the presentation or in the $40,000 range. Yeah. So $6,000 is a bargain. <laughs> and, and, and the other thing is, um, if you look at the the tower itself, six thousand dollars isn't really that outrageous. Uh, they did show the HP Z workstation for eight grand, and that's actually accurate. However, I I actually abhor both HP and Apple for doing this. In that they both ship these systems with two hundred fifty six gigs of RAM, mm-hmm. and I know nobody's gonna buy the bottom spec of these systems. I'm aware of that. However, they're just basically using those storage capacities as a way to claim a certain price point. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a fan of that. Um, I think it's it's essentially gouging, right? Because they know they're, you're going to pay more for storage. And you know they're going to charge you more than it actually costs. Significantly so to, to add that amount of memory or storage. Right. You pay thousands of dollars more for both. Mm-hmm. And they know it. So it's like. They're kind of cheating you on the price. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I would say I, I would. It drives me crazy, frankly. Not even at a professional level, but even at a mainstream level. When you start seeing so notebooks, spinning discs. Yeah. Yeah. At two fifty six, who's gonna who's, who's gonna buy that? I mean, could you? Uh, I mean, I could never recommend to my mother uh, go out and buy a, a notebook or a. They're not even talking about desktops, but a notebook computer with two hundred fifty six gigs of memory. It just it, yeah. It, it Unless you're gonna sense. use it like a Chromebook, you need yeah. storage. Right. That's exactly right. So, to, so I agree with you that the, the some of those entry level price points tend to be a, a bit misleading. Yeah. You know, also, the one thing I was really surprised by, and I know you know this thing has dual ten gig ports, so this is going to be working in a wired environment ninety five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. But they they put eight hundred two eleven AC Wi Fi in there, and I feel like that's kind of not very pro. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have put 11 AC, AX or Wi-Fi right. 6 in there. It's right. plenty available now. Um, so I think that's just a little nitpickiness on my part. But overall, I I think you know half the reason why this thing's six grand is because there's like a two three thousand dollars Xeon in there. Right. And the price only goes up. I think some websites said you know it's like the top spec version of this system starts at 35 G's, and that doesn't incorporate the price of the FPGA that they've got in there, and no one knows what that's going to cost. Right. Well, and let's also talk a bit about the, the product has a bit of modular, modularity built into it, too. 
which I think is kind of interesting. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, we don't know too much about its modularity. I mean, the reality is any kind of desktop tower is a modular one. So unless they can show me how they can, you know, take out chunks of the entire system, um, the only thing that I recall being truly modular and somewhat different from a desktop PC was that they created that GPU module. Right. That's essentially like the GPU and cooling and maybe something else in there, but it just sounds like GPU and cooling. And I don't really consider that a module. It's just they went fully passive on the GPU cooling. So there is no actual fans on the GPUs. They're just using the active airflow that's going across the entire system, which is not necessarily that inventive, but it does allow for it to be theoretically quieter. But as somebody who uses GPUs a lot in the high end, I'm not a fan of passively cooling GPUs unless you've got them in a server and you have like 20,000 RPM fans flowing over it. Flowing through it, yeah, right. I, I just don't Ooh. see Apple move, having enough air volume right. to keep these GPUs cool enough for long periods of time. Obviously, they've probably done the engineering. Obviously, they've got the performance where they want it. But mm -hmm. I feel like there's probably some performance headroom that could be had if there was better cooling. And sure. they obviously compromise on that because they know that people who are using these are probably working in film or music and need it to be a quieter environment. And so they had to hit a certain decibel level for the system and they made that decision. So, right. um, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the guy who's willing to take a little bit more audible noise for better cooling. Mm -hmm. um, but in their case, obviously that wasn't the case because they went fully passive on the GPU component. Um, but it is cool that they've got multiple slots for those GPU modules. Although I'm not really sure how they'll be able to power a an eight core Xeon fully loaded up with memory and storage and four GPUs. So mm -hmm. it is a 1.4 kilowatt system, but you know, which is sure which is which is which is massive, by the way, from a oh, from, yeah. a, from a power actually, standpoint. I, I did a little bit of research because um, they posted the specs after the event. And uh, it's a 92, almost 92% efficiency power supply. So it's uh, it would be 80 plus platinum, which means it's very efficient, mm -hmm. um, which means the current you're pulling out of the wall is mostly what you're using as opposed to a low efficiency power supply, which could be you know under 80%, mm -hmm. um, meaning you're sucking down way more power to get less performance. Exactly, exactly. But I think, nevertheless, so, and I want to hit some other topics because a lot of stuff was announced at WWDC. The, the, mm -hmm. the products are, 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 are powerhouse products. I mean, they are going to, there's a certain crowd, they're going to they're gonna sell a lot of those. I mean, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any dispute about that. But let, let's flip our attention to some of the other big news. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, one of the big things that you alluded to before, and there's been rumors about this, but I think thematically, it kind of points to where Apple is going from a from a direction standpoint with the iPad, is that they've split up iOS. They really haven't split up. They've they've now created a variant of iOS called iPad OS, which right. is really focused on taking advantage of the extra screen screen real estate that a tablet has. And you know, from my perspective, and this has been happening already. This is not like a brand new thing for Apple because they've been kind of taking t tippy toes in, in this direction. But they're adding a lot more multitasking. Windowing, windowing capability, better file management, and they're really turning the iPad with iPad OS and really to a 
to what I believe is a very worthy challenger to a conventional notebook or desktop computer where you can, you know, it's, it becomes more, more of a general product productivity device that you have with Windows or with Mac OS. So, um, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, that's really where I kind of came out, came out when I, when, when I heard, the, uh, heard that news. I think the reality is this was necessary. I, I'm actually a new iPad user. Um, I've never used an iPad until this year. Say it ain't so. I did not know that on show. Yeah, I mean, I've, I I've like that. played with iPads, but like truly used one, mm -hmm. no. And that's partially because I've always been a Windows, Android kind of guy. So I always had devices that satisfied my needs. And I kind of never really found tablets that compelling. So I kind of stuck to smartphones with big displays or convertible laptops. I never really felt like I needed a tablet. Right. Um, but this new iPad really convinced me that it was worth a, a look because they finally moved away from using a proprietary connector, which I thought really opened up the iPad to a lot of capabilities and yep. more flexibility. Mm -hmm. With USB-C, um, right, right? Yeah, so USB-C was a big deal to me. Mm -hmm. um, among the whole performance improvements, you know, produce bezel. Like, this is the kind of iPad that I think is worthy of people really looking at iPad again. Um, mm -hmm. and See, my, my, say it's, it's, it's interesting because my litmus test is when I'm on business travel, like you are, and we both are on the road um, a lot of the time during the year, is that I hate to carry a notebook and a tablet with me. But I do that because I find the iPad very convenient for content uh, consumption, watching a movie, you know, uh, reading the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, or you know, reading the uh, Apple News app. I mean, there's a lot to say about that, but... You know, but and I'm you know I got to play with iOS 13 once it comes out to see if it it actually makes me consider do I have to carry my my notebook with me because the, the form factor mm -hmm. is delightful. I mean, especially by the way, you know it almost would force me if I if I didn't have to carry my notebook with me, I'd probably consider getting the iPad Pro um, uh, the 12 inch model. You know, yeah, which that's is, what I've got. Yeah, so I mean, Apple, Apple sent me that because I asked to try it out because I was curious. And um, the thing is, is that I really think, you know, after using the iPad with all my Windows apps and my email and all that, I, I can see how Pat used to run around with that iPad nonstop. Because if you think about it with right, the right applications, the right user interface, um, an iPad is essentially an always connected PC because mm -hmm. a lot of these iPads have modems. Right. And... Having that LT connectivity, it's big. having that it's, iCloud, it's, big. Right. it's good. It's good. Um, I think there's some things that are weak. I think the keyboard needs work um, from my experience. But there's a lot of third-party keyboards that I think are probably better. Mm -hmm. um, like I think Logitech makes a really popular one. Yep. Um, but the way I see it is this is their play into the long battery life PC and the ultimately portable one. Um, I think this is, ironically enough, this is kind of like a MacBook killer. Mm -hmm. um, and this might actually be how Apple transitions PC users or MacBook users into, you know, an A12 style processor based experience. Um, 
and they let you pick which experience you want. And I think the reality is the iPad is a very comfortable and easy to use device that a lot of people are really familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they're going to they're, they're they're making this transition now. And you know, with the whole um, that one that one project, I forget what they call it, Project Something, where they have one app for I- iOS, MacBook, um, Mac OS, and and oh, yeah, the, iPad. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. I forget what the name of the project was, but um, that that's kind of the the ring of the bell saying like the end of applications for one platform are the days of that are coming and i think we're gonna see more and more apple products transitioning to their processors right right well you know and again you know the litmus test for me and i suspect you know lots and lots of other users is you know how functional will office be you know word and excel and powerpoint especially powerpoint because traditionally on a tablet and that software, uh, Microsoft's had the, uh, the Office suite out there for several years. You know, it's, it's not bad for editing a PowerPoint presentation, but to create a, a PowerPoint presentation from scratch on a, on a, on a, on a tablet just using your finger, it's, it's hard. Now, apparently they've added mouse support, believe it or not. I, know, I, I don't know if you caught yes, that during the thing. It's technically an accessibility thing, but... yeah. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see because once you add a, a mouse, you know, I don't care, you know, everybody carries a wireless mouse with them. It will be interesting to see if it can pass that, the, the Mark Vina test of can I create a PowerPoint presentation from scratch? You well, know? you'd be surprised. Most Mac users don't carry around a mouse because they're plenty happy with their touchpads. I know. I, uh, that I know. I, I know that. But, yeah, but PC old users who give up their mice might yes. be a good target. Yeah, no, old school, old school type of thing. So I thought that was interesting. The whole iPad OS thing, so that that mm-hmm. will be uh, one of the uh, definite um, things. We'll both of us will check out when the uh, the beta version, the public beta version, becomes available. The um, uh, other things that, that you thought were kind of in, uh, well, let me throw something at you because I it's 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 a very strong theme of my Forbes post this morning. It, you know, l- like always, but I think they did it with a heavier hand at this uh, keynote, and and really um, Tim Cook kicked it off with a lot of um, vigor is they privacy. really hit the security privacy piece very, yeah. very hard. And, you know, I, maybe I'm being a bit uh, melodramatic, but I almost kind of thought that, you know, given the, the recent uh, Supreme Court ruling on the Apple App Store, you know, they, they, they obviously Apple has to know that every member of the Supreme Court and all of their clerks, probably more importantly, all of the clerks will, will, be, will be watching the, re, the replay of that keynote uh, mm-hmm. multiple times. But I, I almost get the, the feeling that, they were making the case that you know what we yes we have a closed wall a wall gar, um, a um, a walled garden ecosystem, but and and yes we do charge um, developers up to you know thirty percent in commissions, but to provide people with the level of security and privacy that they need so you don't have malware and apps and you know people are not tracking you all over the place and there was a lot of things that were announced along those lines, you have to have. You know that uh, a closed wall garden type of approach versus what Android does, which they're very open, and there's a lot more bad things that go on if you're an Android user because the 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 uh, it's much more open uh, than uh, than the Apple ecosystem is. But what do you, what were your takes on that? Do you think I have a crazy theory there that they were kind of presenting to the Supreme Court? <laughs> I, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Um, I think the reality is Apple is leading in privacy. Um, 
And I think their lead in privacy is as, is as big as their their lag on maps. So I, I think that they're really leading the industry in privacy and forcing other companies to really consider what they're going to do to match Apple's strategy if they mm-hmm. can. But um, I think that I, I think the whole obviously there's probably a component of what they announced was was designed to be public facing so that certain people could see it. Um, that's always going to be in the back of their minds, especially at the upper echelons of the company's leadership. But I think this is more about consumers trusting Apple. And that's why I think they're pushing this privacy narrative and, and actually doing things. They're not just talking about it. Oh, I, I, and I don't mean to imply that Apple is not, that they don't care about the users. I think they're clearly between Cook and the management team, I think they, they absolutely you know, um, are terrified about the privacy and, and uh, security issues that people face today in the, in the high-tech world. So I, I absolutely believe that. My, my, my point is, though, is, and it's a little bit, it's not so subtle, is that unlike Google, you know, Google had, you know, most of Google's business is on the advertising and search side. That's where they generate the majority of their, um, the vast majority of their revenue. Whereas Apple still has a hardware business. Now, it's not growing as quickly as the services part of their businesses, but it's still a nice big, big chunk of their business. And they make very good margins. You know, so a, a cynic might say, well, yes, Apple is doing this, but they're doing it because they can afford to do this. Because if if they start, if Google starts matching Apple with a lot of the privacy and security um, enhancements that they announced, you know the 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 the, um, the value of the metadata goes down. You know, if you're if you're Android, you know, if you're a, a Google. So, you know, I, I don't doubt for a second that Apple is sincere in what they're doing. But there's, I, I think in many ways this was a challenge to Google. You know, go, hey, uh, Google, go match what we're doing. And I think it's, it's, a t- it's tougher for Google because dumbing down um, and, you know, uh, dumbing down the, meta, the value of, the meta, uh, of meta tag data and just, you know, location data, which is very valuable from a marketing standpoint. You can debate whether the privacy issues all over the place. But that, you know, goes right to the heart of uh, Google's business. So, um, I think you just got to look at it from that perspective. That's all. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of Apple users use Google applications. So I think Apple's considering that into how their privacy is affected, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm I'm an iOS user, and most of my my applications are Google applications. So I get where they're coming from there, and. It does sound like a bit of a challenge to Google now that you mention it. Mm-hmm. I just think that there's, I think there's something more to Apple is becoming this place where if people want to have privacy, they choose to go with Apple or stay with Apple. Mm-hmm. So even if the competitors have something, you know, unbelievable like something that answers your phone for you and takes spam callers messages or books a appointment for you, you might forego that because you know Apple's protecting your privacy. Mm-hmm. So this to me sounds more of like a, a competitive moat of sorts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something to consider as well because 
I think that they're trying to put themselves in a situation where it's almost impossible for Google to compete with them because they know it's a fundamental destruction of the way Google's business model might work. It works, exactly. And that's exactly my point. And, you know, and, and again, you know, regardless of what Apple's motivations are, and I do believe a lot of it is altruistic, they want to do the right thing. Um, you know, my, my view is that uh, it's competition is always a good thing, you know, and if it puts pressure on Google and others to step up to the bar, you know, frankly, oh. from, you know, to provide that level of security and privacy, that's a good thing, you know, Here, for, my, here's for the, the entire market. You know, the reality is if Apple is being competitive with Google and pushing them, uh, I don't think anybody's going to disagree that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And if... Apple is being altruistic. It's a lot easier to be altruistic when it also makes business sense. <laughs> right? Uh, again, a cynic might say you can afford to be altruistic when the business is going really well. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but I understand your point. I yeah. understand your point. You know, um, in, in the few minutes that we have left, is there anything else that jumped at you? Yeah, I think the only other thing that I really – well, there's two things. I'll, I'll make it quick. Um, one is I think they made a lot of big improvements to AR kit. Oh yeah, this, let's hit that, please. With this whole reality kit thing, where they're integrating a lot more of people and the real world into AR, and allowing for people to occlude objects and for objects to occlude people, mm-hmm. so that they're actually tracking your body and they know where your body is in the environment, and that they can allow for like mixed reality capture and all these other kind of cool things. Um, you know, this is really just a, something for developers to be able to do so that they have more freedom to build these AR applications. Um, this is definitely one of those things where you're looking at, you know, Apple's once again trying to enable their their developers to do something unique that others can't do quite yet in AR before they launch a headset. So this is just another step towards getting that headset launched because the yep. better the applications and the more more immersive they feel, the, the, the bigger bigger a deal it will be. Oh, no, no question. They want to, When they hit the ground running with whatever they announce from a hardware standpoint, they want to have a, a, a plethora of really cool apps that are out there. So I agree with you 100% on that. Um, yeah. You know, go ahead. Do you I'm want sorry, me to mention the other thing? Yeah, please. Um, the other thing was actually not something that was announced, but it was something that wasn't announced. And to me, that was the lack of Siri improvements. Um, they did they did say that Siri is going to now sound more natural yeah. due to some mm-hmm. you know natural language processing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it talks to you, it sounds more natural. But to me, I feel like Siri is so far behind Google Assistant that Apple should be really focusing on that way more than they are. Um, but it might just be one of those things where privacy is partially what's holding this back, right? Because a lot of what Google does with Google Assistant is sending people's voice data to the cloud, analyzing it, and, you know, improving on how they recognize your voice. Mm-hmm. And uh, Apple just doesn't do that. I can't do that because they keep your, your stuff local. Local, right. So I think they may just need more time and faster AI processing capabilities to be able to come closer to Google. But... It's just really disappointing to see how how Siri really hasn't been an area of focus for them, even though everybody else is you know doubling and tripling down on voice assistants. 
Uh, do you think that, you know, maybe I'm being a bit melodramatic here too, but you think series days are done? I mean, um, or do you think, you think Apple might just do a restart like they did with Apple Maps a few years ago? I mean, what's your head, where's your head on that? Um, I, I can't get a sense of what their palette is like right now for, you know, restarting things or giving it up. I haven't really heard any murmurings one way or the other, so I can't really say what I think. Um, I, I, I genuinely believe that they need to have better voice recognition and they need to have a better voice assistant. I have Siri. I have an iPhone. I carry my iPhone with me as much as I carry my Android phone. I use an Apple Watch. I never use Siri because mm-hmm. it's, it, it just sucks. And I just – I can't. It, it does <laughs> Every time I try and use it, it disappoints me. Right. Yeah. No, and I uh... – I suspect many people feel uh, the way you do, and the only yeah, time I use I use Siri is when I'm in my car with CarPlay. I use it to yeah. call someone. Very very narrow functionality, and like take me to home or things like that. I don't really use it more extensively than that. I right. use Alexa and, all the time in my home right. for general purpose questions. Exactly, and that's the thing. I don't even use Alexa for general purpose questions because I don't mm-hmm. think it's as good as Google either. So, right. like, I, I just don't bother using my Alexa or my. Uh, Siri devices for that purpose and it's all Google and obviously I would love to have more competition with Google but if your capabilities aren't there I'm just not going to bother Um, false positives for me were a big problem with Alexa in the past but I think they fixed a lot of those Siri I get I get some false positive but very rarely but I just don't even try using Siri most of the time I've I've used Siri was an accident Mm mm-hmm by pressing a button too long. Yep. That's exactly the same problem that and, I have and, every and once in a while. And it's just a shame, right? Because I, I genuinely feel like voice assistants are such a big part of how I use my Android phones and I use my, my, my speakers that I feel like Apple users are really missing out. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so, um, well... I can't disagree, Anshel. And I, you know, the and the final two comments I would make that I thought was kind of interesting is um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time of it, but you know, uh, iTunes as we know it died <laughs> officially on Monday as they're breaking it up into three pieces. I wouldn't spend a lot of time on it, but they're, you know, but I, I think uh, as most people know now, they're going to break it up into podcast, music, and TV slash video. Um, and uh, but the, the that core application and, and it's a shame and what I, I get misty eyed in some ways because you know iTunes was the original application there with iPod that really kind of changed the way people consume music you know whether it was downloads in the in the early days uh, music streaming and the, the application just became so bloated over time and a lot of the capabilities were tough to use so it, it was probably the right thing to do but you know it, it's just kind of sad that that uh, that happened, I think, in some ways. I, I kind of avoided it like the like the plague, because mm-hmm. um, I was always a PC user, right? So, I I always thought that, you know, iTunes was this really weird thing. Like the idea to connect your phone to your PC via iTunes was just so insane to me. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't understand it, and I I hated it. So I actually um, I actually was an early adopter of did you know mp3s but i used like you know those creative utilities. nomads yeah those utility apps that were out there 
Yeah, so I, I, I was... I definitely agree that the iPod helped kickstart a lot of that industry, um, but I think it really fell behind iTunes itself once a lot of services really came out right? and became a really compelling, you know, the industry had compelling user interfaces and experiences and business models that iTunes simply didn't anymore. And I felt like that was part of the reason why a lot of people stopped using other than the fact that it was bloated. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how they deploy it in iOS 13 and on um, Mac, the new macOS Catalina to see if it's, it's, a, it's, it's a cleaner and is it, you know, a, you know, a bit easier to get your hands around. But um, the other thing, and then we'll, we'll close the call out, is that I was intrigued. Uh, I think they're going to they're gonna sign up a lot of people to the Apple um, movie service because that trailer um, uh, for All Mankind looks really, really, really good. You know, I, I, I actually can't wait. To, I can't wait to see that. And I had to watch it a, a few times. At first, I thought it was just a chronicle of the moon landing, but it's it's oh, kind no, of like a yeah. it's a man it's like a man in the high castle kind of yeah. an alternative history type mm-hmm. of thing. So that will be intriguing. And, and if you watch the trailer, there was a number of very good actors uh, in it. So it will it's, be a nice coming it's out. It's an party interesting concept, right? Like, what if we didn't win the space race, but we came second, and it actually made us try way harder? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I really like that idea. I wish yeah. I wish it was kind of true to a degree. Well, that's great. Well, I think that's all the time we have, Anshul. This was a great call. I've always, I always enjoy talking to you, and that was a lot of uh, a lot of great stuff that we discussed. So to the more insights and strategy audience, please follow us on our uh, social media suspects, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great weekend.